Welcome to your Locked On SEC Football Podcast. Support of the Locked On SEC Football Podcast is brought to you in part by Vivid Seats. How about helping fans find your seats to any of your favorite live events? Of course, that's sports, concerts, theaters, and more all through the Vivid Seats app. This app is sweet. You just download it on the App Store, Google Play, and uh, fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Reward Loyalty Program. You can enjoy credits on all of your purchases as part of the Vivid Seats rewards. All Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by 100% guarantee. Vivid Seats has been around for a long, long time, so you know they're very credible. Vivid Seats offers great prices, easy purchases, purchasing experience, as well as an in-app loyalty program. That's the Vivid Seats rewards. So that's the way to get the best seat at the best Price. The best football breakdown comes from Chris Landry of LandryFootball.com and talk about a story that's uh, got legs. I wrote a column on Saturday down south about it, and uh, it has to do with Tennessee. I firmly believe, uh, and I hinted at this uh, probably a week or two ago, that Philip Fulmer uh, would love one more crack at being uh, Tennessee's head coach. Um, we've talked about, hey, he's 21 wins away from General Neyland's uh, record. And I don't think Philip Fulmer liked the way at all to how things ended. Um, so I do believe it's a realistic possibility. Is it this year? Is it next year? Um, if Jeremy Pruitt has success, obviously it's it's not going to happen. Philip's not getting any younger. But I'm, I'm curious what you think about uh, Philip Fulmer, would he be effective if he ever got in that position again? I would think you'd reach out to John Chavis, who's probably not having the best time at Arkansas. Uh, you've got T. Martin on the staff. Um, could you reach out and get Randy Sanders at ETSU? Um, kind of like the Blues Brothers putting the band back together. I, I think it's more of a possibility than a lot of people do believe a lot of people think I'm crazy, black helicopter, conspiracy stuff, but uh, I think there's more potential out there, maybe not in the next few weeks, but there's more more potential out there than people truly want to believe. Your thoughts, Chris? Well, and and I definitely want to get into it and go from kind of my perspective and the coaching search and coaching evaluation and the validity of it, if that's the direction. But I'd like for you to expand upon a little bit because – for people who don't know, Dave is very clued in, very tight in. He's not just somebody that just wakes up one morning and says, hey, I have an idea. Let me just say he's clued right in there at East Tennessee, been very close to this program, covered this, this program for a long time, knows all the movers and the shakers. Expand upon this because there's a lot of people. There are a lot of different things that are being said that all this was the plan all along. And this is what he hired a guy that he knew wasn't going to be successful so that he can jump in. I don't know that I believe that go into where you, the, not the validity of it. You've expressed that, but Phillips, you know, in this whole process of hiring this guy, how much of you think this has been quote unquote a plot or just something that, you know, seems like the, the thing to do from Phillip's eyes and how much do you think he's spending time behind the scenes working the movers and shakers? And you know what that would be. That would be university administrators that would have to sign off on this. 
getting certain booster factions. You know how this stuff works, Dave. Get, get people. A lot of people are going to smell a rat. Uh, a lot of people are going to look at it and say, oh, my God, that 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 is awful. You got to work the PR end of it to get people on board with it, the ones that are not. How much of you think that, what do they say, how much of this is a thing, meaning something that is not just potentially there, but maybe is being plotted there and has been for some times? Your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, and and I want to be clear too. I d- I don't necessarily think it's a plot from day one. And I think Tennessee had a challenge in hiring an elite coach. You you and I've talked about that before. They weren't going to just go out and get Urban Meyer. I mean, that wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to get Chip Kelly. They couldn't even get uh, Jeff Bronk. So I, I think they were in a position where they had to get a guy that it was very questionable whether or not he was going to have success. I think at the top of the list that Philip Fulmer wanted a really good recruiter to build up the roster. So so do I think he was plotting it way back then? No. Do I think it was in the back of his mind? Probably. Um, And I don't think it's from any sort of evil type of perspective like a James Bond villain. I think it's more from the perspective of, you know, I saw uh, the picture of him at the press conference. I don't know if you saw that. It, it went viral on Twitter. And he was mad, pissed. Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was angry about losing to BYU the way they lost. That's two embarrassing losses back-to-back to start the season. Suddenly Tennessee could be staring at a 1-6 and six, uh, season here in just about a month. So I don't I, – I don't, think it's necessarily a, an evil thing. I, I think, though, that he, he looked at Jeremy Pruitt and he either wanted Jeremy Pruitt to have great success or now I think it crosses his mind, I could at least get this thing back to respectability. We could debate whether or not that's the case, but I believe he believes that. And I think he honestly, um, even though, now, anybody at that level is always a little bit egotistical and they want what's best for them. I do believe firmly that he wants what's best for the university. And if he thinks that he can get Tennessee to an eight or nine win top of plateau and then you'll kind of uh, see where the, the cards fall after that, I believe he, he would do that in a heartbeat. Now, legit. Logistically, you're talking about if Jeremy Pruitt were to be fired at the end of the season, a $9.5 million buyout. Um, also, it's worth mentioning that I'm not exactly sure of Jim Haslam's health right now and what influence he still has, but he used to be the guy who had all of the influence over the athletic department. I don't think Jim Haslam necessarily wanted Nealon's record broke. Haslam played for General O'Neill and had a lot of respect for him. And um, whether or not the Fulmers won't admit it, he was involved in in Phillips firing. So there's a lot of hurdles, but I don't think Phillips uh, any sort of evil person because he might want to take over that position. I think he believes it would be best for the university if, 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 Jeremy Pruitt can't get this thing turned around, but Philip would be just fine with Jeremy Pruitt reeling off a couple of national championships too. He just wants the the program to be better because if you look at where it was, I don't need to tell you, but 
you know, for our listeners that are in their twenties, they don't they don't remember this. But it used to be one of the premier programs in the nation. It's far from that right now. So I think that's the perspective he's uh, looking at right now is his legacy is going to be tarnished if this program in one shape, form, or fashion doesn't improve, uh, Chris. People are going to remember that as much as they remember that 1998 national championship. I don't think he wants that, and I think he wants to leave the program in better shape than when he took over as AD. Because the program slipped under him after winning a title. He got fired, and in this case, if Jeremy turns it around, then he could be the guy that, well, he made the hire, he stuck with them, it worked, now look at it. Or he can be the guy riding in on a white horse and stepping in as the interim coach and doing this. There is obviously uh, going to be a little bit of, uh, in in some cases, a lot of uh, looking at it with cross eyes because fair or unfair, and for people who maybe are a little bit younger and are not aware, I'm sure you've probably heard of it out there. If you're listening to this, you're probably a really learned fan. There was a situation. There is a track record, at least the perception, that Phillip's not above, and I agree with you, this is certainly not a case of this will be looked at, you know, stabbing him in the back. But I think that it is certainly not like it was when, uh, they call it like it was, he did stab Johnny Majors in the back. And I don't think there was a lot of problems in infighting when Johnny Majors was the head coach left because he had open heart surgery, came back too quick, quite frankly, because Philip took over as the interim, was having success, was known as a really good recruiter, and Philip had carried a lot of favor with a lot of boosters who kind of wanted Johnny Majors out, who Johnny Majors didn't get along with. He didn't, Johnny didn't get along with his mother. I mean, he, Johnny couldn't get along with anybody. So that became <laughs> an issue. And so, but the reputation is, oh, he stabbed him in the back. Well, you know, okay, and 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 it's fair point, and and certainly led Tennessee to more success than than Johnny Majors, who was also a great Tennessee player, was able to do. So, it, it is interesting. It is an interesting dynamic. Uh, in terms of is it a fit? I, I don't. I don't think it's a good fit. I don't think it it saves Tennessee. I think the only thing that's going to save Tennessee is to get the program in the hands of a leader that could change not only the culture, how you do it, but have more skill in being able to do all the things that you need to do in a very tough situation in a high profile job, be that as they're going to need to bite the bullet, stick with Jeremy if they believe in him, or if they're going to have to bite the bullet and move on, can they hire somebody? I think part of the problem is the fact, you know, if you go back, Philip Fulmer, most people on the outside looking at it saying, Philip kind of calmed the waters in Knoxville. There's a lot of chaos at, uh, at, at Tennessee. But understand the chaos had a lot to do with the fact that there's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of factions, as there is in a lot of SEC places, um, a lot of, you know, political infighting, of which Philip's been a part of that. Since Phillips has been let go, he has had the uh, flaming red you-know-what about 
the people that helped get him out. And Philip, not so subtly, has done everything he could to become a problem for people, be it athletic directors, chancellors, whatever. He's done the best he can to to rally the people that are on his camp behind the scenes to cause a lot of problems for the people that were running Tennessee. So a lot of the chaos that was created and has been a part of Tennessee was a lot of Phillips doing, not all of it, because you got incompetent presidents, incompetent athletic directors, bad coaching hires, all those things that contributed to it. Um, influential boosters that are not necessarily know what they're doing. I mean, Jim Haslam, we mentioned, God bless him. He hadn't been able to figure out the Browns in forever, and he's trying to help Tennessee. Well, that's that's doomed to failure to begin with. So you have a lot of those issues that I think Phillip's been a big part of. Yet, so if you look at it, he's kind of calmed the waters at Tennessee. But he's the guy that's stirring the stick that's making the water. You know, he's a big part of that. So it's kind of ironic because I say he's putting out fires, but he's maybe the guy that was on the couch smoking a cigarette that caused the fire to begin with, or at least part of it. So I don't know that, to be honest with you, the political infighting, if Philip is Philip has enough power and enough enough control and enough um, people on his side to cause problems for anybody that would have come in and clean it up. I think that is the problem at Tennessee, and that's where I want to get into it. I don't have the answer because they're going to do what they want to do, and Philip Fulmer is going to be part of it. And, and whether he wants to come back or whether he thinks that's the right thing or not, um, stick with Jeremy, get money to go in a different direction. Is he going to get a different guy type of guy? Is he going to get a guy that is going to want a lot more control and power that maybe is not going to acquiesce to Philip? I mean, Philip former, I haven't, I've only been there to uh, a couple of times since, since he's been back at athletic director practices. That is, so I'm not there every day. People on the coaching staff tell me Philip former is regularly out at practice every day in coaching gear. Remember he got reprimanded for having a whistle and working kind of talking to the offensive lineman in practice, which you can't do. There's no question that he is he is very engaged in this. And that on the surface is not a problem. But but maybe to the point of making this job not as attractive for every type of candidate is an issue. The problem that Tennessee's had is that it has had chaos. And the one thing that Philip brings in is stability. If Philip's not a part of it, then he's going to be one of the guys helping to create instability because Philip loves Tennessee. I do believe that. But I also believe that Philip loves Philip more than he loves Tennessee, and Philip's loved the Tennessee that he's a part of, and somebody else being successful is not optimal unless he's a part of it and part of getting credit for it. I truly believe that. Um, and that's just maybe not abnormal in today's ego world. So where does that put Tennessee? Um, totally diversing themselves from Philip Fulmer is not something that's going to happen because there's, a, again, got a lot of political faction. And therein lies the problem. There is no leadership uh, in, in, in that regard. There's leadership on the surface, but there's 
a lot of what I would call dysfunctional leadership in terms of what's best for certain factions and not what's best for the program. So you take a guy like Jeremy Pruitt that I've mentioned, I think is a good coach, a good position coach, good coordinator, who I think can be a good head coach, but did not have the seasoning or the traits that are optimal to be a head coach in the SEC at this stage and probably would have been better served doing his apprenticeship somewhere else that is not in the spotlight that is Tennessee football. And you put a guy like that in a situation where they've had no stability, the roster's not good, their infrastructure of support staff and how they do things are not optimal. Well, you take a guy that's not the best fit and you put him in a situation that's not a good situation and you expect it to work well, it, it I, I am not saying that I was expecting them to lose to Georgia State or to look this bad. But to think that Tennessee was going to have success is a little bit like, you know, I don't know, trying to gamble and think that's going to that's that's the key to providing your funding for your retirement is well, I'm going to bet on a few games or something that that to me is very, very risky approach. In my world of kind of assessing college programs and fits, that if anybody needed a proven head coach that has built programs, that that has done it, that has it on his resume, it was Tennessee. And then they went and hired a guy that I think Jeremy's a good guy and a good coach. But to get the Tennessee job, other than he – talks and sounds like Tennessee fans would like their coach to sound. And I don't mean that as a slam. I mean, there's a lot to that. You know, they like the old country boy, you know, that, 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 that's fine on the surface, but that is not Tennessee needed the best coach proven to, to build something that is broken. It's been absolutely broken for some time. And so, you know, I, I think that, it was an idea, but for Philip, Philip's not going to hire that type of strong coach. So it is not about Greg Schiano or Mike Leach. There are other guys I can tell you behind the scenes that would have been very interested in Tennessee, but they're more high profile. They would have probably put Philip former in the shadow a little bit more. And I don't think that was ideal for what Philip wanted. He wanted his guy. He wanted, he wanted somebody that he could pluck and say, I fixed this for Tennessee. Look at me. I, I think you're right. Just like I think there's an attraction to where if it doesn't work, he can ride in on his white horse, get his 21 wins, become the, the winningest coach in Tennessee history. And by the way, Dave Hooker was on this. I, I, I Somebody sent me an article yesterday written by one of the Knoxville folks that basically they're starting to write about stuff that I know Dave's been talking about for, you know, two, three weeks. So I think this has led to a lot of problems and the fixing of it. it, it again, it's not an easy fix because Phillip's not going anyway, and I'm not suggesting he shouldn't, but I do question that. I think Phillip wants Tennessee to win. I think Phillip is heart. Nothing's more important to him than the ball program other than his role in it. I think Phillip wants Tennessee to be successful but I think he wants to be the one that gets the credit for it. 
and hiring somebody maybe more qualified. Oh, man, it got turned down. Well, of course they got turned down. When people investigated that, I talked to a lot of coaches, successful coaches that would have been loved it, very attractive. But you go in and investigate it. I mean, the left hands are not talking to the right. They don't even know where the feet are. I mean, it's just all over the place. That is a problem, yep. and it made the program less than it could be. But this is Philip wanting Tennessee to be successful, but he wants his fingerprints on it, so he gets the credit for it. And I think he'd love to fix it. He'd lo- You're probably right. In his perfect world, when he goes to sleep at night, him riding in on the right horse, you may be kind of stabilizing it again as a head coach. Maybe, I mean, I don't think he's going to be able to. There's no way he's going to be able to coach long enough to get 21 more wins. That ain't going to happen. But I think ideally he'd love for that to happen, then hand it off. If nothing else, he'd love to be able to, his guy that he hired, for it to work. I, I think hiring the best guy for the job, that more most proven, that, that guy would get the credit and less to Philip. I don't think that was I would be ideal for Philip. That's my take on it. <clears throat> no, I agree. At this rate, he'd have to coach 10 years to get that 21 wins. Uh, coming up <laughs> to LSU, uh, we'll talk about how everybody's on uh, that bandwagon very, very quickly. And uh, I can't say I'm surprised based off how they play, but probably need to pump the brakes just a little bit. Uh, a little bit more from... Uh, the uh, Ole Miss-Arkansas game. I think we all thought Ole Miss was going to be absolutely horrible, and maybe they are. They're playing Arkansas, but um, look better than I had anticipated. We'll have game balls from Chris Landry as well. And uh, you know, suddenly Felipe Franks looked better, but what does that really mean against an inferior opponent? Uh, we'll get to that uh, LSU conversation next. You're locked on SEC Football Podcast. You are Locked On SEC Football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's talk a little bit of LSU, Chris, as uh, they move up in the AP poll and somebody, uh, suddenly everybody has them penciled into the college football playoff. Are we getting a little bit ahead of ourselves? I mean, I commend to what they've done to this point in the season, but um, November's still a long ways away. Yeah, I think in general – everybody's getting ahead of themselves. I, look, and, and that's what people do. And, and you're in the sports talk radio business. And I now doing commentary and analysis work. I tend to revert more back to the, the, the little bit more studying of the film and letting more, you know, exposure of teams and playing one another play out uh, than rather than jumping and saying, who's the number one team, the number two, who's the number five. It, it don't even give that a thought. Working 20 hours a week on football, but the thought of who's one, two, three, four, five is not even relevant to this point to me and just how I look at it. So I think in general, everybody uh, focuses too much and overreacts to a loss or a win or circumstances early in the season. But I think what happens, Dave, is we have a lot of games that are not really good and doesn't have good versus good matchups, that when we see certain matchups and we see a little bit of the results, you can make a conclusion. You can look at Clemson and say, really good win against A&M. 
you can look at LSU and say, you go on the road to Austin and win, which, by the way, was a great environment. And shouldn't we see more and more? I don't know how you feel about it, but home and home matchups, I, I think it's the atmosphere is so much better in Austin and coming back next year to Baton Rouge, uh, Texas. And that's so much better than in Atlanta or Dallas and some of the stale, you know, neutral site things. Anyway, uh, I think that performing well and doing that um, with an offensive performance that everyone has been holding that against LSU that, you know what, they've not been a good offensive team. And you've heard me say it before that everybody thinks, well, boy, you take that great defense, you open up that offense, nobody will beat them. Well, it's not as simple as that because if you play that style of offense, your defense won't be as good. So having that happy medium is where LSU needs to go. And I think you can't say anything other than kudos to how they look, kudos to what they've done. I think it bodes well for matchups at home between Florida and Auburn. We'll see how well they do, as well as the other games on their schedule, until they get into November and see what they do against Alabama. But I do think it's a little early. I do need to see if they can become a little bit better with their four-minute offense, a little bit better with their run game, a little bit better slowing the pace down to where they're not not that you're not trying to score 40, but play more ball control so that the defense can get off the field better. Because other than that, you're going to have to outscore people. And you know my philosophy on that. It's what I think held Alabama back, among other things, towards the end of last year. It's what allowed Oklahoma to be good enough to make the playoffs, but not good enough to quite finish off of Georgia and Alabama. I think you can win it that way by being really explosive on offense and maybe just defensively get by. You can win, but it's a lot tougher. And it's kind of like, to use the basketball analogy, you can be a great shooting team, but if you have an off-shooting night, you know, it's a little windy, the ball bounce is funny, you lose a game you shouldn't lose to because somebody else who can score a lot of points also gets running up and down in your defense because your defense is on the field for, you know, 85, 90 snaps, and then all of a sudden you become an average-looking defense, even though you got the personnel to be much better. So, yes, a little early, but um, certainly off to a really good start. And I would certainly say that what they have accomplished has been more impressive than any other team in the SEC to this point. Um, They look better than, say, Auburn has in their win over Oregon, but what does that really mean in the at the end of the day? Nothing other than, hey, you get an attaboy, now get back to work, and we'll see what the rest of the season unfolds for, for everyone. And I uh, did want to get to Ole Miss. If Tennessee is the negative surprise in the conference, Ole Miss may be the positive surprise. But again, this is Arkansas, so you're kind of graded on, on a curve. Um, but I, mean, I thought the Rebels looked better than – than I expected, um, and I give Matt Luke a, a lot of credit because he was the guy who was willing to go out and hire two proven coaches as coordinators. I think we both have our doubts that that's going to work out long term. It's probably not, but seems to be working for now, so kudos to Matt. Look, I, I don't take lightly that though their performance against Arkansas. Um I didn't think I thought Ole Miss would win the game. I thought there were a little bit desperation and I thought they would find a way to win it. They dominated the game. That was pretty impressive. Um, and, and they 
played well defensively against a really good Memphis offense. So that's two weeks in a row that they've done a pretty good job against some people that can move the football. Now, Arkansas is a little inconsistent and very unstable at the quarterback position, so I don't want to make their offense to be a juggernaut. They're not. But they played deep, pretty good defense, has the Rebels, first couple of weeks. And offensively, they they improved. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, they – they couldn't block anything in that first week against Memphis. They were better against Arkansas, which has a little bit better overall ta- talent on defense. I-, I thought they showed improvements. They got the running game going. I- I'm impressed. Now, what does it mean? Well, I- the beat Southeast Louisiana. I tell you, one of the more intriguing games is going to be in a couple of weeks. Ole Miss hosts Cal. People don't know much about Cal. That's a very good defensive team. And Rich will have a little good intel because of his background in Arizona with Cal and Justin Wilcox, another familiar name in Volland, speaking of that, yeah. done a great job at Cal yeah. defensively. That's going to be a real interesting matchup. Th- then they go to Alabama. But you look you look at Vanderbilt. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is they got one win. They'll beat Southeast Louisiana. Cal's going to be a key game because it could be another win or a loss. But I think that Vanderbilt in New Mexico State – um, or definitely two other wins. I still don't know that they're going to go on the road and beat Missouri or beat A&M or go on the road and beat Auburn. Uh, they're not going to beat LSU, I don't think. And Mississippi State, at the end of the year, we got time to figure that, that out to the rivalry game. So I, I, I'm impressed. But when I'm impressed, what I'm saying is I still don't know if they're going to go be qualified for a bowl game. Um, th- they'll regret losing that Memphis game, which I'm not surprised they lost, but I'm just saying they look a little bit better. And they are capable at this point of what I've seen of getting somebody. Now, I, you know, does that mean A&M at home or at Missouri or um, at Auburn, at Mississippi State? It, it is not out of the question that they could pull out an upset over one of those teams. But not a lot of wins on the schedule. But i got to tell you, they're playing a little bit better on film than I thought they would. Yep, I Great. Uh, do we garner much from Felipe Frank's improved play last week after just a bizarre uh, game of mistakes in week zero against Miami? Also, game balls up next. You're locked on the SEC football podcast. You are locked on SEC football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coming down in three, two, now, when you're locked on the SEC football podcast, we take a look at uh, Felipe Franks at Florida. And, uh, you know, again, I want to be clear. Uh, I'm not ready to give him the Heisman because of a, a good performance against UT Martin. But when when you look at Franks and how bad he was, Miami was, Florida was, everybody on that field was um, in week zero, just a very sloppy game. Do you give him? much credit for uh, being a little bit more crisp, or do you say, hey, it's UT Martin, let's be real? Well, I'm glad you're not ready to give him the Heisman, because if you were, then we need to take your temperature. Um, <laughs> I, I, th- I No, I, here's the thing about it. What's the alternative? If he played poorly, and I even wrote in the film room breakdowns, is, what, what if he'd been very average and maybe looked sloppy against UT Martin? The alternative to playing really well against a bad team like that is not playing all that well. So he played well. He was sharp. He can do that. He's not been that sharp against better defenses. So, look, it's going to be an intriguing week this week. 
they go to Kentucky. Tough news for Kentucky. We'll get into that matchup as the week progresses. But Terry Wilson is not there, uh, not going to be there for him. So I, I expect Florida to bounce back because it was, gosh, since the Reagan administration that Kentucky had beaten Florida um, and they beat them last year. So I, I think they get back on track. So, look, I think that, that um, Kentucky and Tennessee and Towson, I, I expect – I want to see how well he plays against Kentucky and Tennessee. I expect pretty well – and I think they're still unbeaten going into Auburn. Then they got to go to LSU. So I think we, let's hold on until October to see what Felipe can do against really good defenses like Auburn. And I think potentially LSU, even though their pace is a little different, I think that their defense um, is, is, is certainly more challenging. So I, I would say that I'm cautiously optimistic with Felipe. I think Dan does continues to do a really good job with him, building his confidence. I think that's what that game was all about. I still would not trust him in a big game against really good defenses to pull it out. I think you're going to have to play extremely well around him to pull an upset if you're at Florida. And, and there are not many games where it would be an upset. Uh, Auburn, LSU, Georgia would qualify. The rest of them, Florida's better than those teams. And game balls. You've been in the film room. Who, who did you feel like stood out in in, uh, in last week's games? Hey, I got to tell you, the first of all, it's Joe Burrow. Uh, definitely got the first game ball. The performance was outstanding, uh, just incredible. Uh, would get the game ball around the country, not just in the SEC. I got to tell you, Colin Hill has been great for Mississippi State. He gets another game ball. His trophy case is filling up. But I thought, again, the competition wasn't very good. South Carolina ran the football. Both Denson and Harris were really good. thought Ty Chandler did some good things and obviously an ugly loss, as we've talked about Tennessee. The receivers, I got to go to LSU. Terrence Marshall, uh, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson were outstanding. I thought Elijah Moore from Ole Miss was really good as was Brian Edwards of South Carolina. Tight end, Albert O. Got an Albert O. sighting again. Great performance by him against uh, West Virginia. Eli Wolf did a good job for Georgia. At tackle, um, I thought uh, both the Kentucky guys did a good job. Darian Kennard, Landon Young. Um, Jamari Salier did a good job at Georgia and Stone Forsyth at, at Florida. I know the level of competition wasn't very good. I thought... Kentucky's offensive line was outstanding because the best guards performances were Ben Cleveland of Georgia and the two Kentucky kids, Luke Fortner and Logan Stenberg um, at center. Uh, I thought Drake Jackson and Nick B Drake Jackson of Kentucky, Nick Buchanan of Florida were really good on defense um, at defensive end. I thought um, Sam Williams of Ole Miss did a good job. I thought Marlon Davidson stood out at Auburn defensive tackle. I thought um, Zach Pickens was really good. Derek Brown continues to be a force. Calvin Taylor of Kentucky kind of leads that front for them as well. At linebacker, I thought Cale Garrett of Missouri was good. T.J. Brunson of South Carolina and Nick Bolton of Mizzou. At safety, like um, Joshua Bledsoe at Missouri, R.J. Roderick at South Carolina. And in a loss, I thought Cameron Curl played well for Arkansas. Denson was really good at Auburn at corner. Sertain at, uh, at Alabama, Dixon at uh, South Carolina. Believe it or not, you know, A&M defensively played pretty good against Clemson when I broke down the tape. Rona Elam was really good 
as well. So I thought Cameron Dantzler was really good in their nickel packages at Mississippi State, as was Jordan Battle at Alabama. So that's the game balls inside the film room in the SEC for week two. There we go. You're locked on SEC football podcast. Have a fantastic day, everyone. We will talk to you tomorrow. We'll be a day closer to another full week of SEC football.